We're in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. If you join me. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What a joy it has been to be in in Romans as we come to to Romans chapter 10. We We have seen the gospel, haven't we, throughout the book of Romans. You go through and you see the depth of our depravity and you see that we are saved solely by God's grace. It comes to us solely by faith in him. Not of ourselves, not what we're able to muster up on our own. It is, it is all the result of grace. And so we look at this and we come to to Romans 10, having just seen the, the, the incredible power of God and his sovereignty in Romans chapter 9. And you come to chapter 10 and you look and, and we just see the gospel and, and, and Paul's passion for the gospel and his passion for the lost. Last week we, we began chapter 10, but even in the, in the last few verses there, you see, it says in verse 8, but, but, but what does it say? The, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We looked at the, the power of that. Confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Being in a place where there's faith. You, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The power of words like that to, to think of, of what it will be like when we are before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when we are before the judge of this entire universe and to think through faith alone in the work of Christ alone, we will be saved. It's emphatic, you will be saved. Then we come to, to verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now you look at a verse like that and there's a lot in there. Let's so just begin. For the scripture says, and we see the authority of God's word. This is what God says, thus saith the Lord, you can be absolutely sure that this is the case. That whoever, let me stop there for a minute, whoever, power that comes from that particular word, the whoever, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, those in their, their final days here on earth, 
or the child, regardless of your background, regardless of your education or the lack of education. Scripture says, whoever. For us to to read a a word like that in a congregation like this this morning and to look around and to look at everybody who is here in the midst of us this morning and look and say, God tells me that whoever. It's not if you had special circumstances growing up or it's not if you've done enough. It is whoever. The next word is believes. The next precious word we find is whoever believes. It is by faith alone that we're saved. We have forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. The apostle has taught this over and over again in this particular book. Throughout all of scripture it's taught. Whoever believes. And we look at this and it may be simple to us as believers this morning, but I pray that it would be precious to us. The assurance of whoever believes. There's times in our lives where we doubt our salvation. I, at least for me, there has been times in my life where I look and I, I look at the sin that's in my life and I look at the way that my mind works and I, I, I look at the, the difficult times and I look and, I, and, and it brings me to a place of, how do I know? Or, or those times where you, you read sections where it tells you that many will come to him in the last day and say, you know, Father, did we not do many things in your name? You know, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And we, we listen to verses like that, and, and the possibility is that it just causes us to doubt and to doubt and to doubt when, in fact, you're a genuine believer. But to have passages like this that say, whoever believes, whoever believes. And then we look at our lives and say, I'm a whoever. I believe. The next few words are, whoever believes on him. Not only is scripture Alone our authority and faith alone the means of salvation. But it's by faith alone in Christ alone that we're saved. You had a time of Reformation and the five solaces that existed. And it was that which defined us from other people. What is it that we believe? And you go through and you see that we believe these things, Scripture alone is our authority. It's, it's not other books. It's not people. It's not the church. Our, our authority is Scripture alone. There's weight to it. It's perfect. We believe that it's without error, that's authoritative, that it's everything that we need to know as far as who God is and how we might be saved. We believe that we're saved by, by grace alone. These five solaces alone, everyone is alone, scripture alone, by, by grace alone, not what we do, by, by faith alone. It's only by faith that we're saved. And you look, it's two more that we're saved through Christ alone. And it's to the glory of God alone that we're saved. And it was that in which 
the church looked at it and said, this is what we believe. And so we come and just in this particular passage, Scripture says, Scripture alone, whoever believes, faith alone, by grace alone, on him, Christ alone. He is the object of our faith. It must be Christ, whoever believes on him. It's not just whoever has faith, but it's whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There's power in these words, brothers and sisters. You look at this and you just think, will not be put to shame. Other translations will say you will, will not be disappointed. But you think of the shame that comes from our sin. Adam and Eve in the garden covering themselves with fig leaves as they're hiding themselves. But even you look in Revelation where God is coming back to judge the earth. And it tells us in Revelation 6.15 that there's the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man. And that they hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I, I read that and it's just like trembling to, to think. The reality of this being recorded in the book of Revelation is John is writing these things as he sees what it is that is to come. And he's writing these things and he says there's that day in which God's judgment is coming and the people, it's kings, the most mighty people that you could think of in this world, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men. He's listing these people, every slave, Free men, they're hiding themselves. They're in the corners of these caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they're hiding themselves and they're, they're saying, he hears the words of them saying to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us. From the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us. You think of the circumstances in which brings them to this place as far as the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And, and I'll tell you that people don't talk frequently enough about the wrath of God anymore. Um, you think of some of the greatest times in history as far as God's Holy Spirit working and bringing people to salvation. And it came in, in times like the Great Awakening. It came from preachers like George Whitfield or preachers like Jonathan Edwards. Preachers that preached sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God where the people were trembling as they heard that sermon in Connecticut. 
trembling as they're hearing the word sinners in the hands of an angry God in a, a sermon in which you could look up and read and see him talking about how these people are there and they're, they're, they're hanging like by a, a spider's web and they're hanging in any time God can let go, but he has not let go at this particular point. And when he, he does let go, he'll be just to, to judge them. And when he does let go, he'll, he'll be just to have his wrath come upon him. And it's not just the wrath of God, but it's the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God that will come upon them. And him painting this picture of God's wrath. And we're told that, that, that there was people just fainting in the congregation as they heard these things. Just, just fainting to think of it. People crying out, how might we be saved? Seeing the number of people coming to salvation at that particular time. And then watching the sermon be printed and then sent out throughout the world. The most read sermon in the entire world with the exception of of the Sermon on the Mount or sermons that you find in Scripture. And people reading sermons like that and this great awakening that took place specifically in the United States of America. But them looking at the wrath of God that was to come and God's grace that is being extended to them for whosoever would believe on him. I'll tell you, we need more of that today. Because there's pictures in Scripture that are very clear. John is writing and saying there are these people and they're hiding in caves and they're looking at the rocks and they're looking at the mountains and they're saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And guess what? The rocks and the mountains aren't falling on them. The rocks and the mountains aren't hiding them from his face. They will be before him. They will be before him as their judge. For anybody who's in our congregation this morning who is an unbeliever, apart from your sins being placed upon Christ on the cross and his righteousness being placed upon you through faith in what Christ did for us on the cross, for whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For whoever does not believe in him, God tells us, through the power and authority of his word, that they will not be saved. And you look at this, and it tells us that they're crying out, fall on us. Rocks, mountains, fall on us, and yet they do not. They're there before the judge, and they'll face him. Even back in... in in Daniel chapter 12, in verse 2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. I, I, I think shame is something that has been lost in our society. I mean, I, I, people aren't ashamed of just about anything. You look and, and, and they, they sin, they sin openly. They do whatever is right in their own eyes. They look and anything that they do is that, that, that's wrong or that is looked upon from society as being wrong, they just look and they blame it on their parents. Like, well, I did this because dad was mean to me. I did this because I had a rough childhood. 
I did this because of this, that, or the other. Their excuses that they go forward. There's very little shame today, and yet there will be shame and everlasting contempt when they awake. You look at the days of Jeremiah where it talks about people like this where they're just not ashamed of anything. In Jeremiah 6.15, he says, were they, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they, they were not ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. They were not ashamed. God says, were they ashamed? No. They didn't even know how to blush. They didn't even know how to blush. There was nothing in them that was just like, where they just blushed, just embarrassed. You think of it where this is God looking upon people saying that they forgot what it was to be ashamed. God who created the blood vessels that when we're in circumstances in which you're embarrassed, where it all goes to your face. Shame that's there. It all just comes up and God says, they, they forgot. They don't, even know that, they don't even know how to blush. It doesn't even come up anymore. They just, they just do it. And yet we know that for everybody who is without Christ, there will be no excuse. There will be shame that's there. In Romans 3.19, we says that we, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be, become guilty before God. The law is given to where when you are there before God, there will be shame. When you are there before God as an unbeliever, there will be shame. Your mouth will be stopped and you'll be guilty. Whereas we look at Romans 10, 11, it says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Those are radical words. To be able to think of us being ushered into heaven instantly, being before Christ, being before God, sitting on his throne, shining brilliance like the sun, holy in all of his ways with the angels surrounding the throne. And for us to be there and to not be put to shame, for us to be able to be there clothed with robes of righteousness that are not our own, but fully clothed with righteousness, having no sin whatsoever, but being adopted into his family, being the bride of Christ. It's glorious. In Romans 10, 12, it goes on and says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. This would have been powerful for those that would have been reading this at this particular time. Specifically those who would be Jewish reading this and those who are Gentiles that are looking at the history of Israel and the history of the Jews and to see 
where they fit in and all the Judaizers that were saying you got to be converted to Judaism first and all that would have been taking place in this particular time. And to have Paul, by the authority of the Holy Spirit, say, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. The same mercy that would come upon the Apostle Peter. Same mercy that would come upon Matthew. The same mercy that would come upon Apostle Paul. The same mercy that would come upon any of them is the same mercy that comes upon us. He's the same Lord over all. And he's rich to all who call upon him. Love that. To be able to look and say, regardless of your background, regardless of how educated you are, regardless of of what bloodline you have, regardless of what your parents were like or your grandparents were like, regardless of what your life has looked like for the last 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 70 years, he is rich to all who call upon him. His grace is poured upon all who call upon him. In 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In Romans 10, 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That phrase, calls on the name of the Lord, has been used all throughout Scripture. I think of in Genesis, in chapter 4, verse 26, where you look at what, what is taking place is, is you have sin that has taken place and all that has occurred to where it looked like there was no remnant left of God's people and And then it says, and as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. And then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That phrase, they began to worship him. They began to seek him once again. They began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to pray unto him. And so Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever worships him, seeks him, they shall be saved. The phrase, call upon the name of the Lord, is synonymous with faith in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, it says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place Call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Description of Christians and those who have faith, who call upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't say whoever accomplishes this in their life or whoever has more, sin, more, more righteousness in their life than they have sin or who, whoever has done enough. It just simply says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
I love the grace of God. I love the thought that, that there could be someone in a car accident where they're in a car accident, they're laying there, they know, they know that chances are they are not going to make it. And they could have lived just a horrific life. And in that final moment, God saves them. That final moment. No one else in this world even knows about it. But they're ushered up into eternity with Christ. I think of how many parents just prayed for their child and they prayed for him and prayed for him and shared the gospel with them and they saw no fruit that came from it. They lose their child and they look and they just think, what, what happened to them? And then how many of those parents will be reunited with their children in heaven? And it was because God's grace came upon them in like just the final seconds of their life. And the same eternity that any one of us would experience in heaven by the grace of God is the exact same eternity that they will even in the final minutes of their life. So we look and it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now let's look at verse 14 as we continue. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? We see a series of questions. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Then the verse goes on and says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? This should be a section of scripture that moves Reverence Bible Church. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This is a call to to evangelism. It is a call towards missions. It's a call to go to the uttermost parts of the world and to preach the gospel. I pray that we as a church would have a heart for that. You think of churches, and there's, there's churches that tend to categorize themselves in different ways. Um, there's churches where it's like, well, this, this church, they do a ton of local stuff to the community. That church over there, that, that's a missions church. They do missions. That church, they, just, they, they have wonderful programs for the young kids. And this church, they, they do this thing, or that church does the next thing. And I, I look at it for us as a church, and... I want to, if, if, if someone just says, like, what would you want Reverence Bible Church to be known as? I, I, I would pray that we as a church would be known as a church that loves to study God's word. And as a result of loving to study God's word, we've come to see Christ in his majesty. And just, we look at it week after week to where we just behold him and who he is and what it is that he's accomplished for us. That it produces in, is, it produces in us just this incredible 
fervent love for him. A church who loves his word, as a result, knows him, as a result, loves him, as a result, worships him. And the fuel of that, of of everything that takes place comes from that worship of him. I pray that that we'd be a church that, that goes into the community and ministers to those that are in need. Not because we want to be a church that's known for that, but because we genuinely love the lost. We genuinely want to magnify Christ and to show them the preciousness of our Savior and to point them to Christ and to the gospel. I pray that, that we'd be a church that, that has boldness in ministering to people who, who don't know him who are able to articulate the gospel and say it is by faith alone that you're saved, by grace alone. When someone looks and says, I don't think I just, look at my past, look at all I've done. I hope that we as a church will be able to say, look at what scripture says, he came to save sinners. And to be able to point them to that, that it would take place in Starbucks and it would take place in your living room and it would take place in front of your house with your neighbor. It would take place because you point them to Christ because you love them. But I pray at the same time that we'd be a church that desires to minister to the physical needs of people as well. But that that heart for the gospel, that heart for Christ, the worship that takes place, would fuel everything that we do in missions. That would fuel everything that we do in missions. That we would look and think of places like Last week, we had John and Connor here that just went to the Maldives. And, and, and you can look it up and see the islands that are there and see the beauty that is there. But that is a country that says 100% of our country is Muslim. Totally ruled by Sharia law. And to, to have these two young men in their 20s look and say, what's the most Muslim country in the world? What, what, what country has them? It's just... The most unreached country. Let's go there. Saved up their money. Went there for a couple months. Proclaimed the gospel in every circumstance they could possibly find. Jeff currently is in Haiti right now. Looking and and seeing others this year that have gone to places like France. Or Frank's heading off to Romania, I think, in October. Pastor Don is going to Haiti and to China and to the Dominican Republic or to, to, to the Philippines, training pastors. Um, I plan with a small team to, to head off to, to Sudan, to South Sudan in, in November. I go to a place where it's just um, desperate need of the gospel. This time next year, hopefully we'll take a larger team from our church to Uganda. You look, and I don't want it to be where it's just we just do missions, we go places. But we love God's word, and we love Christ. We love the gospel. We love the lost. There is such a passion in us to go to the uttermost parts of the world and to proclaim the gospel. Think of missionaries like David Livingston, 
1813 to 1873 as Scottish Congregationalists. Livingston's father, his father Neil, was a Sunday school teacher. And he was a door-to-door tea salesman. Just a good door-to-door selling tea. But he, he would hand out Christian tracts at every door that he went to go sell tea on. It's a tea salesman. But just, would you like to buy some tea? No? Well, here is a Christian track for you. And you just think of the fruit that came from a man just walking door to door selling tea. But his son, watching all of this take place, he becomes a missionary that goes to Africa and covers just a huge portion of the continent, walking on foot, going from country to country, making maps, ministering to people, proclaiming the gospel. What fueled his mission was a, a verse that, that came from John chapter 10. I've gone to his, where his body's buried in Westminster Abbey in London, and you'll see it there on the, the ground. And around his, his tombstone is, is a verse that's written, and it says, it says this, and John ten sixteen and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There's those that are out there that have not yet heard. Sheep that are part of this flock, but they have not yet heard. They must also be brought. They must hear my voice and there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd and it is that that just moved him towards missions in his life. Confidence that God is going to come and bring a message. I can think of times where I've been preaching the gospel to just a crowd of thousands of people in Africa and looking at their faces and you can see all of them and just looking and saying, how amazing is it that God appointed for this to happen right now? And I have no idea of who will be saved. If I say, how many of you guys would like to become Christians? All of them raise their hand. But you don't know. You, you, don't, you don't know whether it's genuine, but God does. And you think that he appoints times like that for us to go and to proclaim the gospel. And there's those that are there where it refers to them. I have sheep. There's other sheep. I have, which are not of this fold, them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd, and just the confidence that we could go and proclaim the gospel, and God's going to accomplish his purposes, not only in places like Africa, but places on, like on your front sidewalk. Proclaiming the gospel. William Carey, 1761 to 1834, known as a cobbler who became the father of modern missions, or a shoemaker, Grew up, his dad was a cobbler. He was a cobbler. He went to India. He's the one that said the phrase, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Why? Because God's sovereign and he's powerful so we can expect great things from him. And we could also attempt great things for him. I pray that we would have people who sit here in the congregation right now that hear these things and just say like, I will go, I'll go. I'll go. People like Kelly Schwartz, who 
have both of her girls in college now or in grad school. She just goes. She's, we can't even keep track of her. Just goes places. Going to Africa, going to South America, going to Europe, teaching people how to teach Sunday school. It's incredible. Missionaries like David Brainerd, who was born on April 20th, 1718 in Connecticut, God saved him. This is how he talks about his salvation. As I was walking in a dark, thick grave, unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view and apprehension of my soul. It was a new inward apprehension or view that I had of God, such as I had never had before, nor anything that I had the least remembrance of it, so that I stood still and wondered and admired I had now no particular apprehension of any one person of the Trinity, either the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, but it appeared to be divine glory and splendor that I beheld. And my soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable to see such a God, such a glorious divine being, and I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that he should be God over all forever and ever. My soul was captivated and delighted with the excellency and the loveliness and the greatness and other perfections of God that I was even swallowed up in him at last to that degree. And, and, and I had no thought, as I remember at first, about my own salvation or scarce that there was such a creature as I. Thus the Lord, I trust, brought me to a hearty desire to exalt him, to set him on the throne and to seek his, first his kingdom principally and ultimately to aim at his honor and glory as the king and sovereign of the universe, which is the foundation of the religion of Jesus. I felt myself in a new world. Here's this young man, and he's at Yale, top of his class. He's told, as there's this revival that's taking place at Yale with men like George Whitfield and others that had come to speak there, that there's these kids, these college students that, that are told one morning, if any student at this college shall directly or indirectly say that the rector, or either the trustees or tutors, are hypocrites, carnal or unconverted men, they shall, for the first offense, make a public confession in the hall, and for the second offense, be expelled. If you say anything bad about any of our people, and maybe that they're not saved, you're done. You're expelled. He hears this. <laughs> and then they bring Jonathan Edwards in later that afternoon to do the commencement. Make that rule, and then you bring Jonathan Edwards in. What a poor decision on their part. And Jonathan Edwards just says, good job, students. Many of them probably are unconverted. And you go, and you look, and Brainerd <laughs> talks about one of the tutors and says, he has no more grace than a chair. He gets expelled. His world gets turned upside down. Wanted to be a pastor, but the church makes a rule that that he have, if you haven't if you haven't graduated from Yale or Harvard or Princeton, um, that you're not allowed to be a pastor in that particular area. So he's just devastated. So what does he do? Walks over 3,000 miles for the rest of his life, just 
ministering the gospel to Indians. Just ministering the gospel to the American Indians. Incredible fruit that comes from it. He has tuberculosis and he's just coughing up blood all the time. Lives seven more years and then dies and then dies in Jonathan Edwards' family room. That's a good way to finish. Just goes and just proclaims the gospel. Devastated because he can't become a pastor in that area. Devastated because he gets kicked out of Yale. But just takes it and says, I got the gospel. I'll go. I'll go to the American Indians. And he just goes, just goes and just proclaims the gospel. You hear, you hear God says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? How shall they preach unless they're sent? Because there may be some in our congregation that say, I don't think I'm called to Africa. I don't know that I'm called to go to these different places. But it's very clear here. How shall they preach unless they are sent? God help us to treasure Christ above all else and to love missions, to love evangelism, to be in a place where we read a verse like this and there's some of you that look and just, you joyfully write a check to help someone go to missions or you joyfully write a check and say, put it in the missions account and use it for God's glory. Someone (laughs) sent a check to the church just this last week or two weeks ago. Just put a little note on it. I don't have no idea. It was a cashier's check. Didn't have any name on it. It just said, um, tell Pastor Kevin he is awesome and use this for the furtherance of the gospel. And I saw that. I said, that could be anybody that thinks I'm awesome. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just laughed. Probably my mom. You, you look and... and But they just, I, I want this to go for the furtherance of the gospel. Use it for missions. We have a heart for missions. We want missionaries to go out. We want people to be sent. How shall they preach unless they are sent? I pray that there's people in here that hear this and desire to go. I pray that there's people who hear this and desire to be senders. But please be one or the other. Either go or let's send people. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And that's what God says. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Our world has a different view of beauty than God does, doesn't they? Don't we? We look and we see that we God says that feet are beautiful when they go to bring the gospel. When God talks about the beautiful woman. He says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. A woman who fears the Lord is beautiful. 
the feet that are beautiful are the ones that are taking the gospel into different areas. That verse comes from Isaiah 52, verse 7, where it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of the ones that go and proclaim salvation and who say, Your God reigns. The verse is describing the incredible joy of the exiles who hear the news that they're being released from captivity and it's confirmed that their God still reigns. And likewise, what everlasting joy comes from the glad tidings of good things that come from the proclamation of the gospel, that God reigns and he saved us through the death of Christ on the cross. The feet of, of those who bring the gospel are truly beautiful feet. Joy it is to... Proclaim the good news. May we be a church that loves missions. Cindy Aiden is in our church in somewhere. There she is. And she, she served the majority of her life in missions. She spent years and years and years in um, Niamboli, Sudan. 50 miles south of Darfur, a place where, to her, that was just where it was home. Serving a place where no electricity, unless there was some solar stuff that they had brought. Um, hot, so hot. <laughs> this is where we're going to be going, one of the places that we're going in November. So hot, just... You, you lay in your tent at night and it's still like 110 degrees and you're just like, Arr. at least for me, I'm like, I just want a Slurpee. I just want a Slurpee. And it's like, these are the things that go through my carnal brain when I'm in places like that. What would I do for a Slurpee right now? Going into the bathroom and looking up and seeing a bat like eight inches from my head. And going out to say, you guys, there's a, there's a bat in there. And having them say, yeah, he's our friend. He eats the bugs. I'm like, but he's still a bat. And he's eight inches from my head. Seeing them build a medical clinic where they had to take her and Charity, taking wheelbarrows and going to the river, which I walked and others walked and we needed like medical help after the walk. And, and they just made trips back and forth with wheelbarrows filled with sand so they could build, make bricks and build a medical clinic. There's two young ladies going, making bricks, building a medical clinic. Talk with her about missions. She knows more about missions than probably any of us here do. Beautiful feet that go and preach the gospel, who bring glad tidings of good things. May it be fueled by the most incredible love for Christ and for the gospel. A genuine love for the lost that just says, sign me up, when can I go? 
or who can we send? Let's go. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. May they hear with clarity the gospel from us as we proclaim it. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, you're here in our midst and you are so good by your Holy Spirit to to work in our hearts. You tell us that you give us your Holy Spirit and that you have a still small voice that ministers to us. I trust, Lord, that through the power of your word this morning, you're you are speaking to, to each and every one of our hearts this morning. Showing us of how we ought to treasure you more. Showing us the beauty of the gospel. Or even bringing some of us to salvation this morning. Moving upon people's hearts to say... I'll go. I'll go to the uttermost parts of the world. Or I'll go knock on my neighbor's door. Or I'll go sit in Starbucks with my Bible open and look for opportunities to minister the gospel. May you open up doors for the gospel to be proclaimed. May we have a heart that loves the gospel and loves to magnify you and delights in being a light, delights in proclaiming the good news. May checks be written that are geared towards evangelism, towards missions. And may they be written joyfully because we love to be senders. We just love to be senders out into the uttermost parts of this world. Please, Lord, make that happen, not out of any kind of guilt or duty or anything like that, but may it come from hearts that are fueled. As David Brainerd just wrote about in his conversion, there's hearts that just esteem you above all things in your beauty. And it causes us to delight in this passion for world missions and local evangelism. May we find people coming to know you, Lord, as there's beautiful feet that go forward proclaiming the gospel and joyful hearts that send. Lord, I pray that even as our students are on their way up to the Sequoias, that you would cause them at this time to begin treasuring you above all things. And when they get home, may we as a church just join with them in encouraging one another to treasure you above all things. Please, Lord, keep them safe, and may it be just a joyful trip. And may we as a congregation leave this place shining brightly as we reflect you and your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.